would anyone actually care if like Revolve, for example, had good cybersecurity? You know, like they sell you clothing. Do you care that your data is being protected? Do you care that your like information in there? And like, is there some way that Revolve could translate their like you only shop on Revolve and Saks because they have like the best cybersecurity instead mm-hmm. of shopping on somewhere else because um, you know that about it, even though it's clothing related. Like, is there a way we can shift public perception of security from being like a cost center to a benefit is like, like a value driver. That is Lucy Alexander on the future of the cybersecurity business. And this is Phoebe Drummond with Webcast. Lucy Alexander is a 2019 Boston College graduate who now does cybersecurity for the software products at SAP, which is a European multinational software company that develops enterprise softwares to manage business operations and customer relations. Early on in her college experience, she correctly sensed a massive shift to tech and changed her major to computer science. Since then, she has become the voice between in-the-weeds computer programmers and corporate clients looking to secure their online presence for a number of reasons. In this fascinating episode, we discuss the opportunity set for computer science majors, different kinds of hackers and hacktivists, why companies care to hold and protect your data, and advocating for your salary. As a disclaimer, all thoughts and opinions discussed are independent of SAP software solutions and reflect only the personal views of Lucy Alexander. So Lucy, I have that you majored in computer science and entrepreneurship. So very interesting duo from the start. Can you talk about why you chose to pair those two, your experience in both of those majors? Yeah, um, talking about um, computer science and um, entrepreneurship, I when I started BC, I was in CSOM, so I did the whole management uh, track, and I got to my junior year, or right before my junior year, and we were picking classes, and I kind of had gone through finance and accounting and marketing, and I didn't really like any of them in mm. particular, um, or I just didn't feel drawn to any of them. And at the time I was looking at doing like some kind of finance internship um, or something similar. And it seemed like when I talked to a lot of the banks um, that everything was going towards like computers and coding and doing things automated. So I thought, well, why don't I just go to the source and kind of took a leap of faith before junior year. I had not taken any computer science classes. Oh my God. So you started your major junior year. Yeah. So I had like, my major was business management, but like my concentration, I started junior year. I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this. Um, and I just jumped into it. Um, so that was interesting. That's so interesting too, because now the big trend is that for the most part, the people on the finance track have their internships buckled up by the end of sophomore year. So it's like we're half of the the, the CSOM group was yeah. done by then. You were really just beginning. Oh, yeah. I didn't get my internship until mid-junior year. Right. So between junior and senior year. I mean, that situation is very specific, I think, to the banking track. But did you have any experience in basic python javascript or anything before starting those classes no (laughs) literally none did anyone advise you against this 
<laughs> no, <laughs> I just like went, I was like, I'm just doing this. And, and my friends were like, okay. Um, I think at the time, like half my friends had been, were pre-med. And then a few of my friends were like, one of them was marketing. And then uh, one of them was maybe like finance or something related. So they didn't really have any opinions. I think they were just like, okay, you do you. <laughs> right. Well, it true. It really is like, I mean, I don't, it doesn't even really sound like the way you talk about it. You felt like you were taking a huge risk. Like this, I feel like you just were very comfortable in doing that. But I was going to say it definitely was a risk that paid off because what you tapped into has definitely been true with the shift towards tech. Talk about those first intro to CS classes, because I also feel like the your first hello world is very different yeah. than what actually gets done in, in these CS jobs. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I went into it and I actually learned OCaml. Um, I can't remember my professor's name at the time, but, um, I, I like really liked it at first. I thought, and I think the thing I liked a lot about it was that it was basically just like souped up problem solving Mm -hmm. and the idea that I could basically build anything, you know, I wanted to digitally, if I had the knowledge of how to code was really, really enticing to me. So I just sort of, yeah, I took the first class. I really ended up liking the idea of like how software or software and networks and like the bigger pieces of technology work together. So how like computer stores data and memory and stuff like that right. ended up being more interesting to me than actually coding. Um, yeah, I also, after I took a few classes, I realized I'm much better at pseudocode, which is basically like management level code where you you have a problem you sort of like write out what the code would look like to solve the call the problem like it's a lot of logic and then at the end someone actually codes it into writing i was much better at the pseudo code than the actual coding because i'd get to debugging and i'd sit there for like 12 hours and be like i just want to throw this laptop out of the window right and then on hour 13 you're like oh the con there was a comma there (laughs) yeah exactly and i was like why am I doing this? I'm a senior. I could have just done like marketing or something. It would have been so much easier than me like angrily sitting here. <laughs> but I'm assuming that you picked up on the actual language of it pretty quick. I know that you're now you're more interested in the pseudo side of it, but did you think there was a really steep learning curve or was there something about it that that just clicked with you? Yeah, if, for me, there wasn't a super like steep learning curve. I just sort of like jumped into it and it wasn't the concept of it and the professor made it really easy and the concept of it wasn't too difficult to grasp. They take it really slow in the beginning. It's kind of like learning a new language. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, whenever you learn a new language, you learn how to say like, hi, my name is, this is what this is, this is this. And so that's kind of the same thing with computer science. By my last computer science class, I'm not kidding. I wrote on the test, please don't give me a D. Like <laughs> I just need this this test to graduate. And it was my last uh, exam of college ever. And it was for C plus, which is like one of the first or an earlier coding language that requires you to do a lot more like hands-on work. They don't have as much built into it. So that was like terrible, but that was also when I realized like in my college career, I also was like, I'm not going to code. Like I like technology and I understand it and I get the point, but like, I'm not going to be a software developer in a corner somewhere, just like coding all day. What would you, how would you describe to someone like me who isn't well-versed in 
pet terminology and see a sort of jobs, what you do today? Like, what do you go into your at-home office every day <laughs> with the goal to do before logging off? Yeah, so I do cybersecurity for SAP and I work specifically on product security. So, um, so like when I try to explain SAP, I tell people that like, if you think about a, I don't know, consumer packaged good manufacturing, you would say like some, you know, they make candy and they make chips and they make something else. So that's kind of how SAP is designed, but only software products. So my software products specifically, um, I basically spend the day <laughs> securing it, working with customer security incidents. Um, but I also do like security strategy stuff. So there's also like, how do we build our security better for our customers? How do we secure them better? What new tools do we need to implement? Um, so that's one part of it. And the other part of it is basically incident response, which is like the first line of defense for um, cybersecurity incident. So if someone assumes that they've been attacked or there's some kind of data breach or there's something that they think that they have experienced um, and it's related to their SAP product. So it could be happening on their SAP product. It could be related to their product or it could be, you know, they could be experiencing it because something that because we've been attacked. Basically, it's dealing with those day to day. And I'm assuming when you, you talk about your clients, these are big institutional, like other corporations. Yeah, they're SAP is like a pretty big company and they it's like some of our customers are some of the biggest like brand names that you touch every single day. Right. So it's like and I think there's some kind of stat like SAP touches like 70 or 70 something percentage um, of customer transactions all over the world. Oh my God. I mean, this is such a basic question, but these security platforms and checkpoints that you deal with, it's much more than like a password with an exclamation point in it, right? Like what are some <laughs> of the key elements of what makes a secure tech platform? I like to think of it as like, if you're wearing a shirt and it has a hole in it, that's kind of what vulnerability management is. Like you, if a software product is like that, they have to be patched. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a big piece of it. Um, there's also like looking for actual threats out there, looking in your, um, looking in your application for actual threats. So applications spit out logs, which are basically whole big pieces of data. And there's a lot of good, they're called SIMs. They do a lot of like app uh, data parsing where they kind of sort it into buckets. So you can kind of review that data and see, look for anomalies, for attacks, um, for data breaches, et cetera. So I'd say there's a lot of elements. I don't want to get too nerdy on you. No, no, honestly, you're doing a great job of explaining it. And one, the like the metaphors with the chips, but two, that makes a lot of sense when you talk about looking for the anomalies. Yeah. Because, right, like that's not... It's it's the computer itself being self-aware of I under I know that this happens every single day in this pattern. Oh, this is different. Let me send it to SAP. Am I following? Yeah. Okay, perfect. And so I, yeah, yeah. Continue. I guess I just want to really quick. Um, the the whole point or like a whole big like I guess element of cybersecurity is knowing your environment. That's like okay. one of the main pillars, I'd say. And the biggest part is like if something is weird it's very similar to like physical security. If something's weird and going on that you, that you notice, like probably it is weird or it's just 
on technology. So a server is behaving. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. So like a server is behaving really out of norm or or like the way the you're logging in is really weird. That's like honestly how security incidents get reported. Usually it's to operations. Mm. In our case, our operations team a lot gets them and then shares with us to do a security check because sometimes it's like customers, they're like, wait, we can't like no one can log in. What's going on? And sometimes that can be related to a cybersecurity issue, depending on um, what it is happening internally. And is, is the cause of these breaches always like a malintent third party looking to harvest data? Um, I wouldn't say like malintent looking to harvest data. I'd say I'd say there's a lot of companies. There's people that want money right. when they're, you know, attacking or hacking. There's people that do it for social causes, um, which is like they're attacking your company or your product because they there's a social intent, like they don't like the what you're doing or what you stand oh, for or something. It's called hacktivists. Yeah. Hacktivism. <laughs> um, and then I'd say there's another <laughs> section of incidents that we get that are basically like misconfiguration. So we do deal with a lot in cybersecurity of um, like false positives mm. and things that people think might be an incident and aren't or they look like an incident and we get an alert on it from one of the tools that we use. And it's actually just someone who's you know, either not following the regular rules and trying to like get around them or um, that just like made a mistake and accidentally configured something or it's picking up on a legitimate test or something that the internal team is doing. But it is honestly commonly found with um, attacks. Like there's certain commands um, that you run that are commonly found with certain types of attacks. So sometimes we'll get an alert for something like that, but it was legitimately being run by our internal team for right. testing or something else. And I guess the, the question about the hacktivists or the, the people who are looking for money through a, a cyber attack, are there legal ramifications? Like, do these people end up in jail or is it a fine or, or do the most part, or do they stay anonymous? Um, I'd say if people can find them, yes, they'd end up in jail or have a huge fine. I, the thing is about cybersecurity is there's money in it and it's pretty hard to track you down unless you are, you know, sloppy in your IP address, you like unmask your IP address and someone can figure out, like track your computer down to its location and stuff. But in general, if you're very good at it, um, it's like really hard to track and figure out who's doing it and so there's a lot of money to like hold a corporation ransom for 10 million dollars they would they pay it because they like that's not even a lot for them and to have their systems back is, is, worth is it. that common um yeah i'd say it's fairly common i'd say you don't hear about it as much right because it's actually like 10 million dollars to a major corporation is nothing right and they don't want the bad press so i think actually cybersecurity incidents are like worse press than they are anything. I mean, they're they're bad and some of them are really terrible, especially if like user data or personal data gets out um, or gets leaked or company like secrets or that kind of stuff. Act, like the hacktivists, I don't know, it kind of depends, but someone that's legitimately like malicious and looking to take down either, you know, like the, like a, the electric grid or a major company, that's definitely um, 
yeah, it's, I'm not sure like what class, if it's like a felony or right. what it actually constitutes as, but it's definitely, um, a crime. And like, if I just go on to someone's website and start trying to break into it, that's considered a crime at my last job, we did, they did do consulting for, um, customers that were going through like negotiations for ransom. Wow. Um, so it would be basically like, there'd be someone that would negotiate with the attacker. And a lot of it's because like people's systems are completely shut down or suspended. Like if everyone's laptops aren't working, um, that can be like a really bad situation for a company, especially if it's like a hospital Mm. or, um, something that provides like life giving care or school system or something. It can completely like shut down operations, which is not good. That's also an interesting part of like, as things become more integrated with tech as a whole, it makes things so much faster, so much more efficient, so much more easier. But the, like, it's like anything, the more dependent you are on one thing, if, if something goes wrong, like, the stakes are just higher. So everything you're saying makes so much sense. Yeah, there's definitely a dark side to technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's not like I would take all the plus sides of technology right. for the dark sides. Right. But um, it does make us really dependent on it, which is really unfortunate when it comes to something like an electric grid or hospital. And off, oftentimes those like life-saving services or you know something like an electric grid or gas or um, have like the security there. They don't have the money to like really beef up the security, um, which can be really mm. like devastating if there's an attack. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So we talked about this um, briefly before I started recording, but for everyone listening, you said SAP is mainly based in Germany. Yeah, they're a German-based software company. So you also mentioned that you've traveled to talk in London and Berlin. Yeah, so I've been to Germany now three times. I was there in the last year, Um, but I did talk. This is really switching gears, but I did a product demo talk. It was in New York and then London and Berlin. Um, which was really, really fun. Um, so it was actually a, it wasn't, I guess it was a demo like script that I kind of performed, not performed. I like, I got on stage and went through a new product, um, and kind of a suite of new products that we were rolling out. Um, it wasn't directly related to cybersecurity actually. Um, it was, but it was related to my product line. So, and I had this, this note here, like when I was reading about you and reading about how SAP is based in Europe. I mean, you hear that the the different regulations in the U.S. versus Europe just on like a food basic basis or like the yeah. deodorant that we use here, like you can't use there because of the chemicals is, do you find that there's a lot of regulatory differences between the U.S. and Europe? I, I remember when I was abroad, the accepting cookies for every single website, I'd go mm-hmm. on and be like, I accept. Yeah, like there seems to be a different sort of ethos in tech and uh, privacy there. Yeah. So I'd say it's privacy and it's all centered around GDPR, um, which is their like main data privacy act in in the EU. Um, And I there's a lot more uh, like protective rights around the consumer and like right to be forgotten is a big one. Um, which is basically like you have a right to request all of your data be taken down from every website. So like if I have a Facebook account, like I have the right to basically make Facebook remove all of my data from there and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot more protective rights, which comes with like a company like SAP has to has to be a lot more careful about what data of our customers 
we actually have any like access to um, or we have any like relationship with um, because we're considered in some circumstances like a processor of data which puts us in a certain category um, and there's a lot of responsibilities that come with like processing people's personal data especially in europe and yeah there's just there's also insanely huge fines if you mishandle mm. data so like billions of dollars of fines if you mishandle data and they find out in a court and stuff like that and I guess um, jumping to something really recent that I'm interesting, if you've read about it all, the open AI platforms and like how that I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. And I feel like that was a, a good enough segue. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, those are really, really cool. Um, I actually started I like got on it a couple weeks ago and started using chat GPT. And honestly, it's amazing technology. Um, and I actually talked about it last week on a meeting that I was with, with some of my coworkers that do, um, like they do a lot of AI and like innovative work. And I think it's amazing, but they asked me a question about like, if we're going to be able to tell the difference between like chat GPT spitting something out or, um, like human, if it's a human writing it and i my answer is no like i think it will make it a lot easier for attackers to basically get closer especially um, like when you're switching languages um get closer to like what kind of writing someone might speak in or say like you could probably put in there like how would someone from google write an email that says this and then it will rewrite the email from you for like for you and then you can send that email to for example google users and like a yeah and yeah and like a phishing scheme or something so i i don't think it's going to be easier for us to distinguish if something's created by that or not especially like there's deep fakes there's all kinds of stuff right. that's related to like the ai whole boom i guess that i think is just going to get more difficult for excuse me defenders to be able to actually like defend against mm. i think the benefits is that there could be some really cool technology that emerges using like AI models? Like, is there something that we can create that detects, like that's AI, but also detects AI. Oh, um, so, so like, like, so we can like block each other, but yeah, <laughs> each other. exactly. So it can like block, like, is there some phrases that are really common or something like that, that we can kind of like that you, you examine, um, more closely as like a cybersecurity um, person. Um, and then let's jump back. We keep, I, this was on me, but skimming over Boozell and Hamilton. And I think, and you, you brought it up, but experience as a tech consultant, I think mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And I think that if anything, people would be interested in something like that. Like, how would you say the role of a tech consultant and what you're doing would be different than someone doing strategy consulting at Deloitte? Um, it was really cool because I, until I did my internship with them, I had never, I didn't know anything about cybersecurity. So I'd taken like a year of CS classes and then I kind of jumped into this cybersecurity um, internship and the topic was like securing the cloud. Um, and I was definitely like overwhelmed and had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> because yeah, I had no, no... That's so valid. So I felt <laughs> this summer too. Yeah, and I like had no clue what was going on, and it was kind of intimidating. There was like 
one guy that was really, really into cybersecurity, just like personally from Princeton, there were two guys from Tufts. One was a grad student. The other one had taken like all uh, like computer wow. science courses. And then the grad student was in like a computer science program. And then my other friend who went to BC with me who did like more analytics stuff. So definitely had like more, oh, a little, little bit more of an understanding. I'm glad like your friend was there as well. Yeah. And then, well, I guess we became friends because we're both from okay. BC, but so I was literally like, um, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, but that was a great internship. Like we had a lot of fun. It was in Boston, um, Milk Street, and it was really, really like the best internship ever. Um, and then after that, I started full time with them and it was crazy. Cause it was like, I had no idea of cybersecurity and now I was like, basically being paid to fly to customers to tell them what to do with their cybersecurity. And I wasn't going alone. So it wasn't just me. I was kind of like the understudy. Um, and there were like two or three other people usually on those projects. Um, I made a lot of PowerPoint decks and stuff like that. So smiling as you say that, because really most people say the exact same thing about their first job. So talk about like the experience you had that you're like, okay, Maybe I like I know what I'm doing. Like I am a cybersecuritist. <laughs> um, huh. I feel like I don't I feel like I still haven't had that. Like, right. There's like so much like I oh, I say like I understand cybersecurity, but I'm definitely not um the technical person. I'm like I have really strong soft skills. Like I think I'm good with people, I'm really good with angry customers, I'm really good with like people, um, like presentations and stuff like that. And, um, I'd say that like cybersecurity is definitely like one area of business I know a lot about, but I'd say my strongest, um, or like my most, most of my confidence is in like the soft skills and the strategy and like that kind of a thing. So it's really interesting because it's like, I'm in a software company doing cybersecurity. So it's like heavy technical stuff Mm -hmm. all over. It's not even like I'm doing cybersecurity and everyone else is making chips. Like they're making software products all day long. They're coding. So it's really interesting because I'd say my strong suit and where I always fit in the company, um, is like, I call myself kind of like the messenger between the technology and the business. So there's like, especially the tech company, there's a ton of really deep technical people. And then there's like the business people. And usually it's really hard to bring the two groups together. Mm -hmm. So the translation between the two, like being able to sit and talk to a technical person and them not being like immediately finding you out that they don't know that you're like not following along with them. Cause some people, like some people I know are insanely smart and insanely good at like understanding the servers and the, you know, the code and how it all works together. And I'd say like, I'm really good at listening to that, figuring out what's important for business, what drives like money or budget or what costs too much or get to the point. This is a ton of interesting information, but why does it matter to us? And like being able to translate that, um, into like information that actually matters. So like cybersecurity is really important, but it's really important to the image of the company. It's really important to protect people's data. But if theoretically I think about it, like public companies would probably not pay for cybersecurity if it didn't make people so angry. Mm. So it's like really about, or like there weren't such big fines. So it's really about, um, 
And, you know, you'd hope that the market would correct for it and that people would stop using that company if their data kept getting mm-hmm. like used mm-hmm. maliciously or attacked. But you never know. Um, so I'd say that, like, in that realm, um, like cybersecurity is really interesting to me because I like to think about, like, how can cybersecurity become like a profit like it, it is a drag on the bottom line. So how can we like sell cybersecurity in the future in products and make it like really important? Like, would anyone actually care if like Revolve, for example, had good cybersecurity? You know, like they sell you clothing. Do you care that your data is being protected? Do you care that you're like information in there? And like, is there some way that Revolve could translate their like you only shop on Revolve and Saks because they have like the best cybersecurity instead mm-hmm. of shopping on somewhere else because um, you know that about it, even though it's clothing related. Like, is there a way we can shift public perception of security from being like a cost center to a benefit is like, like a value right. driver. That's so yeah. interesting. I've never thought of it that way. I mean, where you went with that was totally different because I was thinking as you were speaking that like you have this end customer that needs the cybersecurity and you have these amazing, brilliant people that you talked about that write the code. But if the if you weren't there to bring the two of them together, then it wouldn't matter on either side. So like, I think it's going to be really good for people who don't think that they'll be able to master this technical kind of coding background to realize that they're not locked out of this business because mm-hmm. they can't do that because you really are like the, the key role there. And you said that what you really bring to the table is the relationship management, the soft skills, the, the presentations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. And I think in cybersecurity in general, you need people like that. Like someone that can sit down and understand the tech and is willing to learn it and understand it as a whole, but maybe isn't the person that's doing like malware engineering or forensics on computers. There's definitely a lot of people that are really good at that. I think, yeah, where it lacks is like, if a business leader comes to many people on a cybersecurity team, they're just going to be like, this incident is all of these things instead of just pulling out. So like, if my boss's boss asked me a question about an incident, she only cares because she wants to make sure her customers are secure, data secure. Like she wants the TLDR, which was like too long, didn't read. And whereas like, I found that a lot of really deep technical people want to just give the whole entire story Mm. from beginning to end and every technical detail. But like, I think that interesting part where they, and it it actually is true. Same for like product management or, and stuff for um, like software in general. Mm. And I think there's a lot of those roles, um, but it's true. Like I would have no idea that that was like a job before I went out into the marketplace that there is like a space for someone that loves and is interested in technology and curious about it, but doesn't want to sit there and code every day. I've done this two and a half years now and you sort of see like the same, I was having the same enough people on like entrepreneurs, finance people, like kind of like the easy grabs that were interesting, but there's mm-hmm. so many other things that people can do in the world. Like what you yeah. do, that like- is My it- job was like- so random. And I always joke, like it came to me because I like would have never gone into cybersecurity or known about it, but it's like such a cool area. There's so many jobs in it and there's so much opportunity, like to move up, to become a manager, to make a lot of money, honestly, that it's really interesting. Yeah, like you people moved- always talk about. Did you feel like you were promoted fairly quickly? Like, was that on you or was that, is that common? Um, Both. I think I'm like really pushy Good. and 
Yeah. I'm like generally the kind of person like promote me, promote me. And when are you going to pay me more? And like when people, when I go into like salary negotiations, I will ask for like insane amounts of money because Wait, I'm like, that's awesome. Well. Like, I think that's really important for people to hear. I, I meant to ask too, like you said your internship was mostly other guys. Like, was there, mm-hmm. a, is there like a gender aspect to it? Like, did you feel that they were being paid more than you or like um, I honestly don't know. And I don't, and I don't think they were paid for me for paid more for me than mm-hmm. the internship, but I've always been like open to other people about my salary, what I make and all that stuff. And I like, hope it kind of fosters it. And I think it has with other people. It's harder now that most of my colleagues are, my colleagues in the U S are like significantly older than me. And mm-hmm. then my call, co- like more experienced, I'd say not older. And then my colleagues in like Germany, it's totally different, like how their pay scales right. work and stuff. Um, but I'd say that like, I definitely like in there also the question about men. Yes. There's a lot of guys in cybersecurity. It's mostly guys. Okay. Um, but, um, which is fine. It doesn't really bother me. It's how CSOM was basically mm-hmm. also. So like it didn't even phase me. Um, but yeah, I'd say that like entering into, I'm like very tough about it. I always give like my friends and my sister, I'm like, just to be tough about it. You have to like enter into salary negotiations. Like don't be crazy, but like, it's important to push for like promotions and salary and stuff like that. Like bring it up. The worst that a a boss is going to tell you is no, they're not going to fire you. you. Yeah. Over like important for people to hear. Yeah. Um, They're not going to fire you over salary. And I also had like really all early on, sorry, this is going for so long, but my, um, someone who was like, a like a VP at Booz Allen had a conversation with her and she was like talking to me about salary negotiations and stuff like that. And she said, um, like if some, if I'm offering someone a job and I ask what their salary expectation is, like I might have $110 is my max. And she's like, if someone comes to me and asks for $90,000 and I say, okay, yeah, I'll give you 90,000. And then if someone comes and asks, for 110, then that's my max. So I'll give them 110. And she said that like, on average, what she's noticed is that men ask for more money and women don't, they're just okay. They're just like happy to have, not happy they have a job, but they're just like, okay, wow, that's great. And they just accept it. And so she kind of like put something in me that was like, ask for something way higher or higher than you'd think. My common, um, way I do it is I ask my boyfriend what he would ask for. And then I just ask for that. Always seems to be way higher than like what I would have ever thought. And so I think that's probably like one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten and ask for your salary pay bands. Like most companies have a range they okay. can pay you. And at least at SAP, it's really transparent. And most companies you can kind of ask for it. Um, it varies company to company, but then you can actually figure out like who is getting paid. What are people getting paid the most in like my job classification and what are people getting paid the least? And then you can kind of like also use that as a tool if someone's willing to share it with you or if your company shares that information. Um, And then that makes me think of, um, how you're talking about you are more focused on making security a value driver is that something you were pitching to clients in like the consulting role? Like, were you working with corporations to, I don't know, have them market that at a forefront of their online platform? Or is that something that you think is still coming? 
Um, I think it's still coming. I haven't done any of that with consulting. Consulting was more like very pure incident response, okay, like disaster recovery, crisis management, that kind of stuff for companies and helping to build that out for them. Um, I'd say that the, I think that's just where cybersecurity is going to go in the future. And that as more and more people recognize like the importance of it. And I think take a personal interest in their data. I think more and more people are like, like you read about the cookies in Europe type of thing. I think more people in the US and in general are just interested in like, where is my data? Who's processing it? What's happening with it? Who has, yeah, who has my like home address and phone number and email address and like, and does that matter to me? I think for a long time, people were like- like The does that matter question is what is like almost like a, a meme for lack of a better word now. Because like, yeah. I have like this big joke with my friends, like I want to use YouTube for free. That means I need ads. Why wouldn't they be for Lululemon versus like a monster truck? Like I'm going to mm-hmm. go to shop at Lululemon anyway. So it's like, maybe we want the them to take our data yeah. now. Totally as a joke, but like it's to that point you're raising, like why does this matter? Like how, and because now there's all these conversations about TikTok being banned mm-hmm. on government phones and like a bill is now on the, the floor to do it in the country entirely mm-hmm. because it's viewed as a, a data trapping tool for Americans. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that like whole conversation is really interesting. Um, I would say that like that part of security is also going to kind of get really big, which I think will give a more of a spotlight and interest for okay. people into cybersecurity. Um, like the attacks and the malicious stuff, sure, like the dark web and how all of that works is, or ransomware as a service, like people building ransomware that they sell basically as like a product is like crazy and cool to think about and very technical. But I think like what will help cybersecurity and like where I think it will go is like people taking a personal interest day to day, like what it's almost like the same thing with the environment and maybe it will come after the environmental like push right now. I, I think like, instead of thinking about like, what are my carbon emissions for this flight? Or like, um, maybe it goes to, I'm not flying Delta because I know they've been breached three times and I don't want mm. my data with them. Or like, I wonder if that's the way that, you know, cybersecurity will move as people care more. That's really interesting because I was going to say like last question, give you the last word. Are there certain businesses or projects that you see emerging as like guiding cybersecurity next? But I think you answered the question already there. So that's, that's really Yeah. At least I hope that's where it goes because I, I don't know. I think, um, I, for a long time, I was very much, anytime I'd go somewhere, like I'd be at a store and someone asked me what I do and I'd say cybersecurity. Of course it ends up in this whole long conversation about like, Oh, how can I protect my data? How can I be safe? And I basically had like a really short one liner that was like, yeah, you can't, you're just not important enough to be Mm -hmm. like attacked or you don't have enough money. You're not famous enough. Like, I don't know what, um, but I think more and more, um, I'm like hopeful that people care enough to be conscious about where they sort of like leave their data. Um, And instead of it being something where I'm like, I just tell people like, ah, there's just too much out there. You're going to get screwed that like we start to be conscious of it and companies start to market and like push for having like stricter policies around it to, yeah, I, I, I hope it goes that way. (laughs) That is so interesting. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me because this completely went in a different direction than I, I would have expected. And I'm definitely walking away from this conversation a lot more conscious and 
like just purely interested for lack of a better word in what we talked about mm-hmm. today. Yeah, of course. Make sure you do your cybersecurity training at work. <laughs> yeah, I will. Well, it's funny because that's like the first thing that gets pushed off. You're like, oh, this email, but not, not, yeah, this, exactly. time. not this time. Exactly. Record time. 100% on the quiz. Not even Perfect. just 70% passing. <laughs> awesome awesome right. well Sounds thank you good. so much for having me and yeah, good luck